So now in the life of the church today, the Holy Spirit continues to work by doing this very thing, by coming with his word of gospel, the, the comfort that our sins are forgiven, that, that God has not abandoned us or destroyed us, but rather he has abandoned and destroyed his son for us. Uh, and by this, he's redeemed us to himself. He's, he's purchased and won us so that we would be his own children. And the Holy Spirit brings that faith, that conviction to us. Five hundred years ago, Martin Luther would gather around the kitchen table with friends and theologians to talk about the Bible, theology, current events, and anything else. These discussions were called table talks. No matter what the question, the conversations always centered around Jesus and his promise of the forgiveness of sins. Table Talk Radio takes up the conversation, bringing the promise of the gospel to our lives. Stay tuned for Table Talk Radio. Greetings and welcome to Table Talk Radio. I am Evan Gigline and here with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Greetings sound so official. Greetings to you as well, Evan. <laughs> Top of the morning to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Table Talk Radio. We have a great lineup for you today, including Are You Smarter Than a Second Year Seminarian? The sequel to the game we played last time. Are You Smarter Than a First Year Seminarian? And I don't know why we're moving up because, Pastor, you weren't even smarter than a first-year seminary. <laughs> there was some there was some debate about that on our forum. I was horsing around our forum last night, and uh, and uh, and noted that uh, on this forum you can go to tabletalkradio.org and you can visit our forum there. And and some people, someone was complaining that you were the judge of the show, being a second-year seminary in yourself. It's like asking a sixth grader to judge the show. Are you smarter than a sixth grader? It doesn't quite work out. So. Yeah, but the point is that I was very unbiased in. in in my my judging, as everyone will will uh, note today. <laughs> okay, well before that, uh, well after we're playing, after we uh, play, are you smarter than a seminarian? We're playing Table Talk Jeopardy. We haven't played we haven't that played, in a while. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's my favorite game. So I don't know what we've been <laughs> go doing. figure. But first, we need to do our theological buzzwords. And how this works is, Pastor and I give each other uh, theological words, and we have to try and work them into the conversation. Uh, my it's more of a theological buzz phrase. For you is simul usus epicater, which means simultaneously saint and sinner. So as as Christians who are baptized, we are we are saints, but in this uh, in this life in this flesh, we still continue to sin. So at the same time, we are completely sainted and yet still sinners. And my buzzword for you, Evan, is this word, which is an easy one because you haven't gotten one in about two months. <laughs> You should be able to Jesus? get this one without even thinking of it. No, well, just about that easy. It is the word redemption, okay, uh, which means that Jesus has has purchased us. The, you have in the Old Testament, especially, this idea of redeeming slaves. You, 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 a relative can put down the payment to have them back. We have it today at the pawn shop. You, you sell, you hawk your watch, and then you go back to. Uh, days later, then you had to pay this extra cash to redeem the watch back. This is what Jesus has done. He has purchased us. With his blood, he has redeemed us, so he is our redeemer. So your buzzword is redemption. All right, so let's get right into Are You Smarter Than a Seminarian? This seminarian playing today on Table Talk Radio is seminarian Michael Larson. He's from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and he is a vicar-elect for St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Melrose Park, Illinois. So uh, depending on how well you do today, Michael, you might continue to uh, to be the, the vicar there. <laughs> <laughs> Pressure's on. Yeah. Uh, why don't we start, uh, Pastor, with you giving a question to Michael? 
Now, the way this game works is that I will offer Michael questions that I've been asked in the last few weeks as a parish pastor, and then Michael will ask me questions or similar questions to what he's been asked in his seminary classes in the last two or three weeks. And then Evan gives how, – how do you judge it, really? Uh, I give points as I see fit. You give points as you see fit, and then that's <laughs> the way the game goes. Okay, so here, here's a warm-up question for you, Michael. Uh, this was from a visitor to the church. Uh, walking out, and they said, this is it with you Lutherans. I I just don't quite get it. How can you say that you are forgiving me all my sins? Well, I think this is um, a a radical concept for for people attending a Lutheran service for the first time. Um, And it's offensive. Uh, It's offensive to the old old Adam who comes in and uh, wants to be in control of what's going on. This, the, this radical nature of, of uh, God's holy gospel uh, comes out in this, 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 um, this corporate act of absolution. And for anybody hearing it for the first time who's not catechized in the, into the church, um, it's, it's shocking. It's utterly shocking to, to come in, uh, uh, confess your sins, and have a a pastor up there forgiving them. And, uh, of course, this visitor or newcomer might say, well, you don't know me. You don't know the darkness of my sin. Uh, what makes you think you have this uh, this right? Who has given this to you? And so the the nature of it is, is of course, uh, catechesis and, and uh, uh, teaching and preaching that um, eventually a pastor would ex- would explain that it is not uh, Pastor Bob up there doing uh, this forgiving, but it's God Himself, and to speak about this this absolution that it is in fact Christ's office that it's given to the pastor to speak this word of absolution. Um, but that. Uh, that would be a long answer, I suppose. Yeah, but it's it's a good one, worth two hundred points. So, whoa, man! <laughs> nice work, Michael. Full two hundred points. You can cash that in uh, in Evan's dorm room for. Does he have labels? The value, his no, we'll words, two hundred yeah. points of volume. Like when you go to the Chuck E. Cheese and you you can pay fifty thousand points for a little sucker or whatever. No, no, I think that's great. I mean, this question really is. There's a few of these questions that you get as pastors where all of the of the kind of theological trends of American Christianity butt up against the theological emphasis of Lutheranism, and and this is one of those those points. So, for example, American Christianity general in general is an internal religion. Uh, it's the conviction of the heart that gives you the confidence of forgiveness or something like this. A- and the absolution is something external. It's someone else. Uh, the American religion is very individual, and so there's no sense of kind of the the pastor as the um as the one who stands to give out god's gifts god gives them directly to me immediately as the individual lutheranism has the means of grace which come to us again from the outside and the pastors into that office to give the means of grace Uh, so this looks to an evangelical or an american christian like uh like some sort of priestcraft 
Um, mm-hmm. The other thing is that uh, forgiveness is is not necessarily something that's declared in American Christianity, but rather something that's felt. So you have the sense of being forgiven, whereas in Lutheranism, forgiveness is the declaration of the gospel. So all of these things kind of uh, kind of uh, slam together when the pastor stands up there in front and says, "I forgive you all your sins." Uh, I think the simplest thing to do, though, the way I like to teach it is just simply to quote the words of Jesus from John chapter 20, where he says, if you forgive the sins of anyone, they're forgiven. And then let the person wrestle with that text, because it's the text that will uh, that will convince that the Holy Spirit uses to convince someone of the truth. And then all of these other kind of errors that that make this seem wrong have to be contended with because they're conflicting with the simple words of Jesus. If you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven them. Pastor but that's was a good answer you gave. Yeah. Um, what kind of uh, articulation do you encounter as far as when they're when they're uh, when they come to you and they have a problem with this absolution or they're they're shocked at it? What kinds of comments do you encounter? Well, though, that, it's you know it's different. Some people really genuinely just don't understand it. I've never seen that. I was never taught that. You know, so that's uh, so it'll be just a really kind of a, a shock to the system, but an inquiry. Other people will come uh, with almost a prideful rejection. Uh, the the pietist can carry this around with them. The pietist being those that are um, more interested in moral improvement than they are in doctrinal purity. That's kind of our working definition of a pietist. And and so the pietist will come along and say, um, "No, this is just." crazy uh this is this is roman catholicism this is priestcraft this is you're you're putting yourself between me and god and i won't stand f- i won't stand for it and so in that case you have to say look no it, it's not me standing between you and god there's one mediator between god and man the man christ jesus but this jesus wants you to be absolutely sure that he loves you and forgives you so he sent me to say it to you so that you don't have to depend on your feelings but uh, but it it depends, you know, and that's the law gospel question. If someone comes kind of with a prideful arrogance or or with a sincere questioning, how you uh, how you can answer the question? That's right. Well, we uh, only have about a minute left, so why don't we just that, and after one uh, what just half a round of of are you smarter than the seminarian? The seminarian is on top of two hundred points. <laughs> and by the way, uh, Pastor Fergino would be called if uh, if uh, Michael took his two hundred points and cashed it in for a book. What's that? That would be redemption. <laughs> <laughs> if the points had any value, maybe it would be. <laughs> no, I, I will use my theological buzzword in its proper sense. <laughs> but, hey, uh, visit our website, tabletalkradio.org. We have a bunch of shows on there. You can listen to our, our past episodes as well as our forum. Go to our uh, our forum and we can talk about this very discussion. What do you think about uh, the absolution when you hear a pastor say, I forgive you all your sins? Um, also, uh, our, our voicemail system, you can call and leave a, a question or a comment, 866-851-5523, and we'd like to answer those on the air. So, the who, wants to be a, who wants to date a seminarian hotline? one 866 851 Michael and I will both be tapping into that voicemail system. <laughs> uh, stay tuned for more Table Talk Radio after this break. For more, are you smarter than a seminarian? stand. I can do no other. God help me. Table Talk Radio. 
We'll be right back just after this break from our sponsors. Martin Luther says that the most common idol in all of the world is the idol of money, that we trust in it, that we fear losing it, that we think that because we have it, we're secure. Here at Table Talk Radio, we have the solution for this idolatry. Click the Donate Now button on our website, and you will support the ongoing efforts of Table Talk Radio to spread this word of God uh, throughout the world. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio 200 to nothing. The seminarian Michael Larson is winning, but Pastor Wolfmuller hasn't had an opportunity yet. But here's his chance to get some points on Are You Smarter Than a Seminarian? Pastor, uh, the church just celebrated Pentecost Sunday. And I think from this uh, Pentecost event, uh, which continues uh, up until the preaching today, of course, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is... um, uh, for Lutherans, we, we see the Holy Spirit as executing uh, and performing this work of Christ. And I wanted to, um, I want to ask, how does Pentecost inform a Lutheran understanding of the Holy Spirit? The, so the question, how does Pentecost uh, give us a Lutheran understanding of the Holy Spirit? And would you like me to contrast the Lutheran understanding of the Holy Spirit to, for example, the... A Roman Catholic or Evangelical or Pentecostal or yeah yeah so yeah so I I would just like to know what uh, simply what does Pentecost say about the Holy Spirit and then maybe a uh, uh, reflection upon other um, Christian traditions sure well the Holy Spirit and this is the perhaps most important thing uh, that we see in all of the Lord's promises of the Holy Spirit as well as on Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit comes speaking or teaching he comes with words. In fact, when Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, he also promises, uh, for example, in John 14, 15, and 16, he, he, when he promises to send the Holy Spirit, he also sends out his disciples, his apostles. So with the apostles, the Holy Spirit is coming. They come, they come together, and they still do. It's the Holy Spirit that comes to us in the prophetic and the apostolic word, uh, and he comes speaking. So rather, so this is the the main thing is that the Holy Spirit comes with words. Jesus says to Nicodemus, uh, "You you, uh, the wind blows. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. But you hear the sound of it. the The wind is heard, and so it is that everyone that's blown by the Holy Spirit or led by the Holy Spirit, you you hear the sound of the Holy Spirit. Th- this is why even on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit takes the form of of tongues because the Holy Spirit is speaking." Jesus promises in John 14, the Holy Spirit will come and he will teach you all things. So the Holy Spirit comes to teach, and the things that he comes to teach are the things of Jesus. He will take what is mine and bring it to you, again, Jesus says in his valedictory discourse there in in the last part of John. So we understand the Holy Spirit as uh, the third person of the Trinity who comes to teach us, to, to preach to us in the Word of God. So the Holy Spirit first convicts us of sin. Uh, he shows us that we're unbelievers. He, he, he shows us that, uh, that we do not fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And then second, he convicts us or, or shows us the righteousness of Christ. In other words, he forgives our sins. That's why when Jesus breathes on the disciples, this John 20 text that we were just talking about, he says, 
uh, he, he, he says uh, he breathes on them the Holy Spirit, and then he says, go and forgive sins. Whoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. So the Holy Spirit comes with this forgiveness of sins, which, says Jesus, uh, is his peace. Peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Uh, so the peace, uh, the, the Holy Spirit delivers the peace of the forgiveness of all of our sins. So now in the life of the church today, the Holy Spirit continues to work by doing this very thing, by coming with his word of gospel, the, the comfort that our sins are forgiven, that, that God has not abandoned us or destroyed us, but rather he has abandoned and destroyed his son for us. Uh, and by this, he's redeemed us to himself. He's, he's purchased and won us so that we would be his own children. And the Holy Spirit brings that faith, that conviction to us. Well, I think that's a pretty... Oh, did, did you have another part to... No, I don't. Do you want more? Oh, I thought well, you were going to do This is comparison. maybe different because, oh yeah, that's right, because the Lutheran emphasis here is on the, on the means of the Spirit. In fact, you know, we always say this phrase, means of grace, but someone pointed out to me a few months back that the, I think the Book of Concord, our Lutheran confessions, only use that phrase, the means of grace, once. But all the other times, it's the means of the Spirit. So that we understand that the Holy Spirit is working through means, namely God's Word. And the things that he attaches his word to, like water and baptism or the body and blood of Christ and the Lord's Supper. And the Holy Spirit is using then that word to create in us faith and to keep us in the faith. Uh, really, the Lutheran Church is the only church that has that emphasis on the means of the Spirit. Uh, most of the other confessions have the Holy Spirit working directly to do something in your heart or, or to make you go kind of nutty or speak in some sort of gibberish tongues or whatever it is. But, but, but we understand that the Holy Spirit, by the word, comes uh, to convict us of sin and righteousness and, and, the, and the great truth that Jesus has overcome the death and the devil. Say, Pastor, uh, at seminary we have a dear professor uh, who um, has the following comment about the Holy Spirit, and uh, tell me what you think about this. Uh, he says that, uh, um, that the Holy Spirit is, is trapped in the body and work of Christ. Is that too much to say? Now, say it again, entrapped, did you say? Uh, that the Holy Spirit, in fact, is, is trapped in Christ, that he simply does uh, the work of Christ. It's kind of a provocative statement, but I'm wondering if this is doctrinally sound. Well, Jesus says a similar thing when he says the Holy Spirit will take what is mine. All things are given to me by the Father. Therefore, he will take what is mine and will give it mm. to you so that, uh, so that the Holy Spirit is bringing to us the work of Jesus. That's exactly right. It's, it, the Holy Spirit can, be now, uh, can come upon the world precisely because the Lord Jesus has entered into glory. Do you remember this passage in John chapter 7? It's a strange passage where... Uh, Jesus says, those who believe in him out of their hearts will flow rivers of living water. And John comments, he was talking about the Spirit who had not yet been given because the Lord had not yet been glorified. So that the, the giving of the Holy Spirit depends completely on the glorification of Jesus. In other words, his death and his resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of God and his sitting down there. So that it's it's then precisely the, because the Holy Spirit comes from the glorified Christ that he is bringing to us then all of the things that took Jesus to glory. I, I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that, if that makes sense to everyone that's listening, but it, it, I think it confirms exactly what you're saying. In other words, the Holy Spirit comes precisely to bring to us the things that Jesus won, that he did. Well, I, I don't I, know if that agrees with the statement, but it's I think it close. does, yeah, yeah. 
Well, I, I think Pastor deserving of 200 points for that response. I, I, I can hardly hey. grant him less. And uh, you have another question from Seminarian Michael Larson? Sure, sure. Here's um, here's why. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is from a longtime Lutheran, uh, just in a casual conversation after Bible class. Well, Lutherans and Catholics are, are pretty close to each other, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> boy. Um, it's those casual conversations that are tough, too, because, you know, when, when a question comes up in Bible class, you feel like you have, you know, the the time and to, to address it, but it's, you know, in the narthex, right? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. I, and, you know, I often will, uh, when people ask me questions after church, I, I'll say, ask that in Bible class ah, for that very, very reason good. so that I can put it in, the, in a different context. So, but this was after Bible class, so I couldn't do that. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, of course, uh, it w- would require a, a great deal of sensitivity because you you certainly would not want to go off uh, in, into a rampage talking about the uh, Rome as the Antichrist, um, but we could speak that 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 there's there's certain marks of the church, very concrete marks of it, and that you could certainly say uh, that uh, the Roman Catholic Church is is true church in the sense that um, uh, they have the Lord's Prayer, uh, they have the sacraments. Uh, um, that this is a, a place where where the gospel is proclaimed, but at the same time we ought we ought to be uh, careful to point out uh, doctrinal uh, positions that are not consistent with the gospel. That um, uh, the chief article of justification is essentially compromised in the Roman Catholic Church. That they have a, a, a very different understanding of of the means of grace and. Justification. Um, they certainly have a different understanding of um, uh, of faith alone and the the sacraments and uh, and uh, 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 celibacy and monastic vows, and that uh, Lutheranism radically overturned uh, the Roman Catholic system and essentially the uh, the Western understanding of of, of Christianity. Uh, so. There are radical differences between Roman Catholicism and Lutheranism, and uh, they are not minimal. Um, so, once again, I'd be careful about how we answer it, but you would, we would teach uh, Lutheran doctrine uh, in its simplicity and, um, and speak the truth about such uh, abominations as, as the papacy and how this contradicts the very nature of the gospel, that it's Christ alone who mediates between uh, between God and, and sinners. Yeah, that's right. Pastor, do you want me to give you Michael's phone number for some of these questions when they come up in the parish? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be fine. I'll just put it on a little card, and I'll say, here, call seminarian Michael. He'll, uh, he'll get after it for you. I know there's plenty no, I missed. Uh, well, no, this mentioned. is, I mean, you did, you did well. It, now, here, but here's, here's the thing. How much time do we have, Evan? I don't have a clock in front of me. Oh, actually, we need to go to our break right now. So why don't we uh, continue this game on the other side of the break? We'll finish up Are You Turning Our Seminarian, and then we'll play Table Talk Jeopardy. So what is Pastor Wolfman going to say next? Say through, <laughs> stay tuned through the commercials and find out. Oh, yeah, that's a great way to <laughs> brother. Everyone's looking for a different show now. <laughs> <laughs>
is Dr. Carl Fikencher, professor at Concordia Theological Seminary. Table Talk Radio is the best radio program ever. Okay, I said it. Now we let me go. In the early 16th century, there was a man named John Tetzel, who is remembered for his selling of indulgences to fund the construction of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. He said, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Luther, of course, combated this teaching, saying that the indulgence wasn't even worth the paper it was written on. We at Table Talk Radio want to give you something of equal value. For every dollar you donate through our website, tabletalkradio.org, we will send you one Table Talk Radio point. With this certificate of pretend Table Talk Radio points, you will be reminded that the points on Table Talk Radio are like the treasury of merits to your salvation. No help whatsoever. Get your pretend Table Talk Radio points today by clicking the Donate button on our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening to Table Talk Radio. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio for those of you who stayed with us during that break. Uh, Pastor Wilfman, you're getting ready to comment on uh, Michael Larson's uh, question or response to your question about uh, Lutherans and Catholics. They're basically the same, right? Yeah, that's right. You, there's, there's, always remember there's two things with the question. There's the question itself, and then there's the, kind of the, the reason behind the question. And, and the questions often give, give away the reason behind it. I mean, the reason why someone would think that Lutherans and Roman Catholics are just about the same. I mean, they've told you that in the question, that that's what they think, is, perha- is perhaps because they went to visit a, a Roman Catholic church, or they grew up in a Roman Catholic church, they have some exposure, and they see that the service is just about the same. You see? I mean, this is the point of similarity. Uh, unless you know the person and you know that they're a student of history or something like that, uh, you can pretty well assume that, that because of the liturgical uh, nature of our services... Um, that that people are drawing the similarity there. So so I think a a good answer to the question will actually acknowledge first the similarities. You could say, yeah, in a lot of ways, in a lot of external ways, we we are the same. I mean, we both have candles. The priests and pastors um, uh, both wear vestments in the service. We have a liturgical service, and our service and the Roman Catholic service actually have a similar origin. Um, although they're diverging uh, in in more recent years, but we have a similar tradition of worship, uh, and so a lot of those external things are the same. But when you get to the very heart of what we believe, n- not only are we not the same, but we're actually the opposite of each other, um, and, and that's why the Lutheran, the the Roman Catholic Church couldn't let the Lutheran preachers stay in the church, and they kicked them out because the Lutheran preachers had this radical distinction between law and gospel. And they said it was faith alone uh, by which God justifies us, not faith working through love or uh, meritorious works of love which uh, come uh, uh, by the infusion of grace that come through the sacraments of the church. We have a radically, radically different um, message, a radically different preaching, a radically different understanding of the gospel. And so it's important for the, for the person who's asking the question to say, uh, let me give you a couple ways to help you note the difference. You have to listen to what's preached from the pulpit. You have to listen for Jesus. You have to listen for, uh, is it Jesus and me that's winning my salvation? 
uh, Jesus and the saints and me, or is it Christ alone who's saving me and rescuing me? So then with a, you know, with a couple of tools to help compare the differences, the essential differences, then you can send the person on their way to, to kind of see these things on their own. Oh, that's right. Well, I think 200 points for that response. And then let's hit one more question, uh, Michael, for, for Pastor Wolfman, and then we'll play Table Talk Jeopardy. Sure. Pastor, um, Peter gives a sermon after uh, at this Pentecost, and um, I would like to know uh, how Peter's sermon at Pentecost informs us about the very nature and task of preaching. And then... Furthermore, in the pericope for yesterday, in verse 21, uh, the sermon here ends with, at least in the pericope, uh, and it shall, shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I'm curious about um, what do we say about this? How does this calling, what does this inform us uh, about our theology uh, and pastoral care, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So you, so you have two questions. The two first questions. is, how does Peter's Pentecost sermon teach us to preach? Yes. And then the second question is, how does this text, which Peter quotes from Joel, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that comes up a number of times in Acts, really. It could be one of the kind of sub-theme of the book of Acts. How does, how does that help us in our pastoral care? Right? right. Do I got it right? Correct. Well, these are good questions there, Michael. The first, let's take the first one. Um, Peter's Pentecost sermon. It basically has two parts. Uh, yeah. The first part is, um, and, and, and this is what we might call an event sermon. Uh, you, uh, there are d- different types of sermons for a pastor. What, when you're in a congregation and in a pulpit week after week, uh, there needs to be no explanation of what you're doing there. Um, I mean, maybe every once in a while it's helpful uh, to get into this. But generally, uh, you're there dishing out the law and the gospel every week, and it's precisely what the people have called you to do. So there doesn't need to be an introduction or an explanation or an apology for why you're standing up there preaching, generally. Uh, but when you have an event sermon, when you're called to a place where you don't know the people or or it's a one-time sort of shot, you, you really want to start your sermon with an explanation of what of what it is that you're doing there. And that's exactly what... Uh, what Peter does. Remember the Holy Spirit comes in tongues and they're all speaking in all these different languages and the crowd gathers and they say, these guys are drunk, a bunch of drunk fishermen causing a ruckus. And Peter stands up and says, no, look it, uh, this is not drunkenness. It's only nine in the morning. This is something totally different. This is, in fact, the fulfillment of the promise that you know from Joel chapter 2, that I'll, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. You are seeing this promise come to pass, Peter says. Uh, and and so then so that's the first part of a sermon where he's explaining the phenomenon of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but then he gets into the sermon proper, which is basically uh, to to um, from memory uh, the the basic uh, theme there is you uh, Jews killed Jesus, <laughs> whoops, that's a strong preaching of the law, and it's uh, it's showing them their own sin. Look this this Jesus who you killed he was the Messiah. And he was, it was testified that he was the Messiah because he rose on the third day. And, and, and Peter quotes the Old Testament uh, to prove this. David died, he says, and his bones are still right around the corner here. Uh, but Jesus was raised from the dead. So this fulfills the promise of David that his seed would sit on the throne forever. Uh, 
And so this is the the the, um, the second part of of Peter's preaching, and it's a strong preaching of the law. It teaches us that when it comes to preaching sin, that we are not to hold back, but to simply come at it full force, full bore, uh, and and to say you are a sinner. It is your sin that put Jesus on the cross. It's your uh, failure to keep the Ten Commandments that makes you an enemy of God and the right recipient of his wrath. We, we have to preach the anger of God when we preach sin. It's, it's, if you just preach, do better, try harder, you're not going far enough. And Peter teaches us that. But then the people, they say, well, what can we do? What should we do to be saved? So Peter did not, in his preaching, did not uh, preach as if there was no hope but indicated that it was precisely Jesus who did something about the very sin that they committed. And so when they ask, what must we do to be saved, Peter gives this marvelous gospel, repent, that is, be sorry for your sin, but trust in the forgiveness of sins, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the very person whom you killed. And you will receive and you, uh, for the remission of all of your sins, it says in the text. So the gospel is there applied fully. Uh, and this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. So we have a marvelous example of of just of the justification of P- Peter's sermon, and then of the law cutting to the quick, and then of the gospel coming in its fullness and applied in the means of the Spirit, like we talked about earlier, in baptism and in the promise of forgiveness. Was there part two that, in there? Oh, yeah, that was question one. Now, question two was, let's see if I can remember... Oh, yes. I should There's dock this little you points for forgetting that. <laughs> no, no, I remembered. I remembered. There's this little verse in there that says, All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is. There's a couple of these verses that we should have in our back pocket as pastors, just even as Christians, that we should memorize. These kind of verses that Luther says we should write them in gold. Um, another one that's just like this verse is Psalm 50, verse 15. Um, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will hear you, and I will deliver you. So that the Lord promises both to hear our prayers and to answer our prayers. It's one of the devil's tricks that when we're in the midst of trouble and tribulation to, to convince us that God is ignoring us or that he hates us, that he can't hear our prayers or that he's purposely not answering them. But these verses come to fight against that, that devil, that, that temptation of the devil, that lie. And we can fight it, fight it off with these promises. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So look, whatever your trouble is, no matter what, call upon the name of the Lord. And here's his promise. You will be saved. Very good. Well, 200 points for that, which brings it to a tie, which proves you are not smarter than <laughs> a seminarian. You're just as smart as a second-year seminarian. So... <laughs> It wasn't that long ago that I was a second-year seminarian. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, eight year, nine years, eight years. Let's get started playing uh, some table talk at Jeopardy. And I have a category for you, which is the Holy Trinity. Okay, I'll have uh, Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, for one hundred, please, Evan. Okay, good, because this one is so easy. <laughs> the book and chapter by which the Trinity is first implicitly mentioned in the Bible. Genesis chapter, what is, oh, that was a close <laughs> one. <laughs> what is Genesis chapter 1? Right, and what does it say? Uh, in the beginning, oh, no, that's the, oh, in the be beginning, one, one. God created the heavens and the earth, so you have the Father. 
And then you have, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the water. There you have the Spirit. And then in verse 3, I think it says, and God spoke and said, let there be light. So there you have the Word of God or the Son. So you have Father and Spirit and Son all there in the first three verses. There it is. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll continue playing Table Talk Jeopardy, the Holy Trinity edition. And uh, we'll, we'll continue with that. Hey, if you need a new oil rag, you might want to consider our Table Talk Radio t-shirts available <laughs> on our website at tabletalkradio.org. They have a, a great picture of myself and Pastor Wolfinger on the front. And that uh, you can even, – even a dartboard might, might – uh, uh, we, we should get the Table Talk Radio dartboard with our logo right there. <laughs> the points wouldn't matter though. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be right back. Don't go away during this break. This is Chris Rosebro, host of Fighting for the Faith, and I want everyone to know that Table Talk Radio is my favorite Lutheran theological game show recorded in Evan Gagline's dorm cell. And now it's time for Table Talk Extra with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Can you believe this parable, the parable of the sinner and the Pharisee? They both come up to the temple to pray, and one goes home justified, the other doesn't. The one that goes home justified is not the man who's good, not the man who studies his Bible every day and prays three times a day regularly, not the man who's dressed nice, who has it all going for him, who has lots of friends, who's well-liked in the community. Not It's not the man who you want to be who goes home justified. It's the man you don't want to be. It's the sinner, the tax collector, the low-life criminal. The man who you wouldn't let date your daughter. The man who you wouldn't let in your house. That's the one that gets to heaven. You see, we govern things by works, by doing good, by being right and holy before each other. But God is totally different. He judges things based not on our works. If he did, who would be good enough? Who would be holy enough? Nobody. Not on our works, but on Christ Jesus who does all for us. So this parable, the parable of the of the sinner and the Pharisee, teaches us to despair of ourselves, of our own attempts at self-righteousness, of all of our sense of being good enough or holy enough for God, to despair of these things, to let all of these things go, to die to these things, to beat at our chest and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because it's for sinners that Christ came, it's for sinners that Christ died, and it's for sinners like you and me. Christ has the promise of forgiveness, justification of eternal life. This has been a production of Table Talk Radio. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org. Welcome back to Table Talker Radio. We just answered the, or Pastor Wolfman just correctly answered the question for 100 points, the book and chapter by which the Trinity is first implicitly mentioned in the Bible. I was also thinking in the same book, uh, in, in Genesis, um, uh, that, that God says in the first person, let us make uh, man in our image. Uh, here you see the, uh, Jesus speaking in the first person in the, in the, in the plural. And so there we, we also have uh, a mention of, of the Trinity as well. 
like, you have this marvelous verse that's somewhere around there. Here, let me pull it open where it says, um, and the it doesn't just say, let us create man in our own image. And then there's a repetition. Um, oh, yeah, here, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the birds of the sea, over the fish of the air. Um, over all the earth and every living creature that creeps on the earth. Then verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So you have this triple barah, 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 create, 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 uh, which is another speaking of the Trinity. And we have even in here the very fact that God is this, the Hebrew word there is Elohim, which is a plural. But the verbs that it takes are singular. So uh, Elohim is a plural noun, but it takes uh, singular verbs, which is an indication there of this kind of plurality in a unity, which is precisely the teaching of the Trinity. It's really all quite marvelous that it's all there for you, um, even from the very beginning. From the very beginning. Okay. Uh, it's also quite marvelous that I just got 100 more points. Okay, let's, let's move on. What, 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 <laughs> what question would you like now? 200 points, please. Okay. This is where I, I uh, demonstrate my inability to pronounce Latin words. But um, your uh, answer <laughs> is this. The ecumenical creed often called the quinque vault. Quinque vault. That means, in Latin, apparently that means whosoever, which is the very first words of the Athanasian creed. So the question is, what is the Athanasian creed? Ding, 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 ding. Uh, whosoever will be saved must confess the Catholic faith or something like this. I'll, I'll give you a, a bonus 10 points if you can say the entire Athanasian Creed by memory. I can't. Okay. It's long, man. This is, this is the Athanasian Creed is this long uh, Trinitarian Creed attributed to Athanasius, probably not written by him, probably right after he died. Uh, but given his name in honor of his fantastic defense of the doctrine of the Trinity against the Arian threat to that doctrine and it goes and if you don't have you can i think i'm sure you could find it on the internet the athanasian creed if you aren't familiar with it and it and it goes through the uh, the teaching of the trinity really profoundly well for its simplicity so there's uh, the father is eternal the son's eternal the holy spirit is eternal but there are not three eternals but one eternal that's just and and this sort of thing over and over again pointing out the three and oneness of of god and the teaching of the trinity right very good. And this is uh, traditionally uh, confessed on Holy Trinity Sunday, which by the time this show, show airs, I think, would be uh, have passed. So uh, that's right. Okay. Well, you ready for another one? Ready. Uh, teaching of the Trinity for 300, please, Evan. All right. I'm trying to find an answer that I can give from a question, something with this simul used to set Picotter. So give me something <laughs> with redemption. See, I thought you were going to use it when you are talking about absolution in the first segment. I think you missed your opportunity there. <laughs> okay, for 300, the early 3rd century Latin theologian who is credited to for first using the word trinity. Oh, I don't know the I don't know that. Um Uh-oh. This, uh, early 3rd century you say? This is the daily double by the way. Do you want I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um so I'll have to guess. Uh I I mean maybe it was Athanasius. Was it I'll say who is Athanasius? That is incorrect. So, losing three hundred points here. Oh, putting me back to zero. <laughs> Tertullian. Well, who was it? Tertullian was the, oh. was the one that was credited that. So, you know anything about nice? Him? Oh, not really. I was just um, reading this baptism quote from Tertullian, where he talks about how we're all little fishies, and uh, the devil knows how to destroy us by taking little fish out of the water. In other words, by by 
stealing us away from our baptism? It's really quite wonderful. Um, but no, other than that, I, I don't know too much about Tertullian. He was early. He was, what is he, a student of Polycarp who was a student of John the Apostle? But I, I don't know too much about him. All right. Well, so we I, better go on to the question 400. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. 400, your answer is the anti-Trinitarian heresy that taught that Jesus had a human body and a lower soul, which is a seat of emotions, but a divine mind. Oh, man. I think if I had some time to think about this one, I could get it. The higher divine mind. We have five minutes. Here, I'll I'll play some music. You think about it. (laughs) I think I have that, too. So the... The divine part of Jesus is his mind, the noose. Um, uh, I can't think of this, Evan. W- uh, would it be um, – that wasn't um, that wasn't the same thing as um, as a Montanism, would it be? Uh, no, I don't think so. What kind of questions are these? Okay, what is it? You have to tell me. I lose another 400 points. <laughs> uh, the, the correct answer is Apollinarianism. Apollinarianism, yeah, yes, brought it, brought I remember it. that. And now. so this is the um, uh, the teaching of of the the dividing of of the body and and spirit of Jesus that, that they're completely uh, different things. And so um, he had a, a divine mind, but his 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 body and soul were, were mere human. Yeah, I just looked up Montanism, and this is the this is what actually Tertullian at the end of his life was slept, swept away with. He it was kind of a Gnostic sort of uh, ascetic cult that. Um, marriage is necessarily evil, um, fast or frequent, martyrdom, accorded, um, etc. So this was a, a kind of rigorous, ascetic, uh, Gnostic kind of cult, was, monoton- uh, was Montanism. So Apollinarianism is the name of that particular false doctrine. I don't have any, I think I'm now out of points. I just lost 400, which means I'm back to zero. Oh, that's too bad because your last question was the Daily Double, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now give me this 500-point question, and we'll see what we can do here. Okay. The 500-point question is, the author of the popular Trinitarian hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. Oh, man, these keep getting more difficult. I think that was written in English. Isn't that kind of how it goes in Jeopardy? (laughs) Well, yeah. You get more points for the hard ones. How how is anyone supposed to know this? Okay, Holy, Holy, Holy. I think this was written in in English. Um, Oh, uh, who is Isaac Watts? Uh, that is incorrect. <laughs> Losing 500 more. You're in the red. <laughs> so th- those of you uh, Table Talk listeners who are keeping a running tally, take away 500 points for today's show for Pastor well, It's Wilson. not over yet. It's not over yet. Oh, you're going to try and work in the buzzwords. Okay, well, uh, the, uh, the, the answer is Reginald uh, Herber. Or Heber. Oh, brother. So, uh, That's just impossible. <laughs> <laughs> Old Reginald. <laughs> um, but yeah, this That's is, this is a- kind of the common, the common hymn. Let's play another game. Uh, we sometimes play on this show contemporary or traditional. And what we do is we read a hymn, and we try to decide whether the hymn's contemporary or traditional. The cutoff date is 1750. So it's written after 1750, the hymn is contemporary. Um, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty... Early in the morning, our song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed trinity. Contemporary or traditional? 
I think it's actually a contemporary hymn. I think it was written in the 19th century, 18-something. So what is tr- what is contemporary? <laughs> is that right? <laughs> that is correct. Yeah. 1840s or something? Or? Uh, sooner than that, but the early 1800s, uh, late 1700s. So. Okay. Right-o. Yeah, it is a marvelous hymn, though. It comes from Isaiah 6, this uh, holy, 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 where Isaiah sees... Uh, the glory of God there in the temple, and and really this talk about Old Testament uh, expressions of the Trinity. We talked about Genesis one a couple of times. Isaiah six is also just a simply marvelous place where Isaiah sees the uh, temple filled with the glory of God and cries and hears the angels singing, "Holy, holy, holy." John sees it also in the Revelation as well. And the, and and what does Isaiah say to that? All right, this will get me to my buzzword. What does Isaiah say? He says, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. In other words, the holiness of God shows him his own unworthiness. This is the peccator part of us, the sinful part of it. But then the angel comes with the coal from the altar and touches his lips and declares him clean, and now the sinner is justified. He's Eustus. So there's Isaiah as the picture of the Christian, which is both justified and sinner at the same time. Simul Eustus et peccator. All right, I'm going to let Michael Larson, our, our guest seminarian in studio, uh, decide how many points you get for that. The maximum is 500, depending on how naturally he worked his buzzword into the conversation. How many points would you award him? Uh, what, did he knock out the buzzword? Yeah. He, didn't, he, <laughs> he didn't even hear Wake it. up! Wake up, Michael! <laughs> I'm sleeping. I'll just pick a number between 1 and 500. Well, That's considering you're does. in the red and you need all the help you can get, I think... Uh, I think we should give you 400. 400. 400. All right. So Pastor Wilfmuller ends the day uh, with uh, a negative 100, and that's all the time we have for Table Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning us in. Visit us on the website at tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening to Table Talk Radio. Caller, who wants to date a seminarian hotline? Don't forget to call (laughs) 1-800-1-866-851-5523. And uh, leave your name and number there. That would be great. Yeah. See you next Uh, time on Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like chasing after the wind. Meaningless. Meaningless, (laughs) says the preacher. Totally meaningless. (laughs) You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like to answer your questions concerning theology, the scriptures, or anything else. Send your questions to questions at tabletalkradio.org or leave us a voicemail message. 866-851-5523. Be sure to check out our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening, and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.